brought friends. Why don't you guys go ahead and pull out your Bibles. We are going to be in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is where we're going to be. Uh, we've been in 1 Thessalonians now. I think this is week six. Week six, we have uh, five weeks left um, in 1 Thessalonians. And we are going to be in chapter three this morning. Chapter three, you're like, wait, six weeks and you're only in chapter three? Um, yeah, I know. And we're going to actually going to bite off a whole chunk this morning. We're going to go through all of chapter three. We're going to, we're going to tackle it. We're going to, we're going to wrestle it down. We're going to go through all of chapter three, um, this morning. Uh, First Thessalonians is uh, towards the back of your Bible. It's in what's called the epistles. And so if you find um, books like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then First Thessalonians, right? First Thessalonians. If you hit Second Thessalonians, too far. You got you to gotta back up a little bit. Uh, Second Thessalonians, uh, Timothy, Titus, you've, you've gone too far. Back, back up. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And before we dive in, I'm going to catch us up a little bit. For those of you who are new, this is your first Sunday. Um, don't worry, I'm going to catch you up really quick. Um, for those of you who have been kind of in and out, um, don't worry. I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of give you the whole backstory this morning. Um, because you have to understand a little bit of the story in order to understand chapter 3. Um, First Thessalonians was written by a guy named Paul. Um, Paul um, was originally, his original name was Saul. And Saul was a Jew. And his task was, for a, a chunk of his life, his task was to, to hunt down and to murder um, Christians, to, to put them to, to death. This is what Saul did. Um, we find this account of his life in the book of Acts until one day, one day Saul um, is, is traveling down down a road, and Jesus shows up to him. Now, this is interesting because Jesus has been dead for a while, right? Well, actually, he was only dead for three days, but um, he, his death happened a while ago. And so he, he died and rose again, and sometime later, Jesus shows up in the fullness of his glory. He shows up to this guy named Saul, and Saul looks upon Jesus in all of his glory, and Saul falls flat on his face and actually goes blind. It says scales form over his eyes because he laid eyes on the glory of Christ. And Saul goes to a place called Damascus, and one of the disciples of Jesus is there. Ananias is his name. And Jesus shows up to Ananias in a vision, in a dream, and he says, Ananias, I want you to meet a man. He's going to come into town uh, shortly, and his name is Saul. I want you to go meet with him. I want you to lay hands on him. I want you to pray for him. Um, I'm going to restore his sight, and he's going to become um, an apostle. He's going to become one who's going to reach many, many people in my name. Ananias says, no, actually, you know what? I've heard of this guy. I want nothing to do with that. I want nothing to do with that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is what I have for you. This is what I want you to do. And so Ananias goes and he finds Saul and he lays hands on Saul and he tells Saul all about Jesus and he explains the gospel to him and he prays for him. And Saul's, the scales fall off of his eyes and he opens his eyes and he can see. And from that moment, his life has changed. From that moment, he's never the same and his name changes from Saul to Paul. And Paul goes on to plant the majority of the churches that we read about in the New Testament. Um, and in fact, he writes the majority of the New Testament. All of these letters that we have, the majority of them are written by Paul. And, and then a lot of the other ones are written by guys who were influenced by Paul. And so Paul goes on what's called these missionary journeys. Um, and the second missionary journey takes him to a place called Thessalonica. Thessalonica is what we've been reading about, the story that we've been reading about. In fact, I actually have a map for you this morning. 
you know it's going to be a good sermon when there's a map, all right? Uh, You'll see Thessalonica. This is Paul's second missionary journey. If you follow the red all the way around, the big one here is behind me. You follow the red all the way around. That's where where he went. All the dots um, where the arrows are are places where he stopped along the way. So you'll see there at the top, um, Thessalonica. Paul goes to Thessalonica with two other guys, Timothy, who's pretty new onto the scene, um, and Silas, who's been traveling with Paul for a while. They show up in in Thessalonica, and they begin every single day. Paul, Paul goes to the synagogue there in Thessalonica, and he begins to show share his story. He begins to tell them about Jesus. And he, to, and he begins to tell them, you have to understand what Jesus is and what he's done. You have to understand that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah has come. He's shown up. He, he bled out on the cross for you and for me. He's rescued and redeemed us by his blood. He's absorbed the wrath of God. He's exchanged his own righteousness for our unrighteousness. He, 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 and I didn't believe it. I didn't believe a word of it. And then I saw him after his death, after his resurrection, in the fullness of his glory. My eyes laid upon him, and I went blind, and I couldn't believe what I had seen. I couldn't believe what I had saw. And I met a man named Ananias, and he explained the whole thing to me. And he laid hands on me, and he prayed for me, and my sight was restored. You must come to know this man. You got to know Jesus. Paul shares a story in Thessalonica. Tells him about Jesus. And it says that many of the Greeks that lived in Thessalonica became followers of Christ. And many Jews as well. Most of the Jews actually were women, it says, in the book of Acts. So a lot of these Jewish women and a lot of these Greek men and women became followers of Jesus. But then there was a group of, of kind of Jewish leaders or, and officials who um, Luke actually says in the book of Acts were less noble, which is, I think is a nice way of saying they weren't super educated. They weren't super um, thoughtful. Basically, their response was, hey, this doesn't line up with what the word of God says about the Messiah, right? The Messiah is going to be a king. He's going to reign. He's going to restore the nation of Israel. That's not what Jesus did. Let's kill Paul. That's the response. And so Paul is run out of town. He leaves Thessalonica in a hurry. Him and his buddies, Timothy and Silas, um, they go to a place called Berea. Uh, we learn that the Jews in Berea, because Paul just does the same thing again and again. He just goes to the synagogue. He's like, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you what Jesus has done. Let me tell you who the Messiah actually was and what he is. It says that the Jews in Berea were actually pretty noble Jews. That they, that they listened to Paul and they said, hey, here's the word of God. Let's take what Paul says. Let's stack it against this and let's see if it's actually true. And these Jews in Berea become followers of Jesus. But then the Jews in Thessalonica actually come to Berea because they hear that Paul's there preaching this gospel. And they say, hey, let's run him out of town. Let's kill him again. So Paul leaves Berea. He's chased out of Berea and eventually makes his way down to the bottom circle there, um, Athens. Athens, a famous Greek city. And Paul is there in Athens, and long story short, in, in Athens, Paul says, man, we got to get back to Thessalonica. We, we have to get back there, right? We can't leave those people there, all those Greeks and those, those Jews and the Jewish women. We can't, we can't leave them there with those people that wanted to kill us. What's happening to them there? What, 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 kind of, what kind of persecution are they enduring? What kind of suffering are they going through? We have to get back there. So Paul and Silas and Timothy try to get back to Thessalonica. Again and again and again, it says that they try. But they can't get back, right? It's like um, if you had a loved one, maybe a parent or, or a grandparent who fell ill and, and they went to the hospital and the doctor said, this is, this is it. Not, not much time left here. 
You say, man, I gotta, I gotta get back there. I gotta see them one last time. I gotta, I gotta be with them. I gotta hear their story one more time. I gotta, I gotta share with them. I, I just got a few things I gotta say to them. But, but there's no flights. There, there's no, there's no way to get there. Driving is just not an option. There's not enough time, right? This is the stress that Paul is feeling and the anxiety that he's feeling, right? He can't get back. And it doesn't say exactly why he can't get back. Um, Obviously, travel is not the easiest thing. You can't just hike hop a bus or hitchhike. Um, But also, the people in Thessalonica want to kill him still. And so what Paul does in Athens... He says that we were, we were willing to be left alone, and so we sent Timothy. We sent Timothy, right? Timothy's a new guy. And so Paul and Silas, they're, they're high profile. They would have been identified, but Timothy's this new guy. He said, we're going to send Timothy. He'll slip in under the radar. He'll come, and he'll, 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 just, he'll talk to you guys. And he, uh, there's a few things that I want to know, and there's a few things I want to see, and I want to hear how it's going there, and so I'm going to send Timothy. And this is actually where our story picks up this morning in chapter 3. And we're going to back up a little bit. I'm actually going to, I'm going to read a little bit of what Benger talked about last week. Benger, just the past few weeks, just crushed it, just nailed it. Um, but I want to back up a little bit just to kind of set it up. And so we're going to start in 217, chapter 2, verse 17. We're going to read through the first half of chapter 3. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more greatly... And with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, therefore, chapter 3. When we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. Sorry. For when we were with you, you kept telling, you kept telling, sorry, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just because he has come, just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when we could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and labor would be in vain. All right, let's stop there. Let's stop there. So there's a few things that we see actually in this text. At first glance, you might not, you might not catch it, but there's, there's two things. So Paul sends Timothy back. He sends Timothy back from Athens. He says, okay, we've tried and we've tried and we've tried. And he says, there's something bigger going on here. It actually says that Satan hindered us from getting back to you. And so we were willing to be left alone in Athens. We sent Timothy, who we loved. We sent him back to, to, to Thessalonica. And there's two things that we asked Timothy to do. There's something that we asked him um, to give to you, and there's something that we asked him to, to get and to bring back to us. There's something that we wanted him to teach you and show you, and then there's something that we, that we wanted him to, to bring back to us from you. If you, if you look, it's revealed in, in verses 2 and verse 5. In verse 2, it's where, it's where Paul says, Men, this is what we want you to do, Timothy. 
And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. And then in verse 5, we see what he wants to bring back. For this reason, when we could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your, what's the word? Faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see, this is what's fascinating to me. This, this, this stuck out to me in this passage. When I think about it, right, if, if I had a friend or a group of friends who I knew were in some sort of peril and some sort of danger, Maybe, maybe they're at risk of, of being arrested. Maybe they're at risk of, be, of being beaten. Maybe even killed. For sure, um, their, their home and their family might be in danger. Their career might be in danger. There's things that I know are happening, but I don't know what it is. And I could get to them somehow. I could send a friend, and that friend could say something to them, and, and he could bring something back for me. This is not what I would ask. I think for most of us, it's not what we would ask. I, 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 for me, I would say, listen, there's got to be somebody. You've got you to go into the town. You've got to go into the city. You've got to find some, some government officials, some, some police officers, somebody that can, that can protect them. You, and I want to hear. I want to hear how they're doing. I want to hear what's their condition. What are they going through? Is there anything that I can do? Is there anything that we can, that we can send that's going to help them? That's what I want to know. But that's not what Paul asks, is it? Paul doesn't ask anything about their condition. I found that fascinating. Paul says, Timothy, what I want you to do is I want you to exhort them in their faith. I want you to encourage them in their faith. And I want to hear how's their faith. That's fascinating to me. In fact, in all of the letters that Paul writes to uh, the churches that he plants, um, he, he writes prayers to those churches. And most of these churches are going through some pretty hard things. Never once in those prayers does Paul say, Jesus, would you change their circumstances? Would you relieve their pain? Would you relieve their sorrow? Would you relieve uh, the persecution? Would you relieve um, these things that they're going? Never once. Again and again and again, Paul says, would you give them more of yourself? Would you reveal to them the mystery and the wonders of your grace? Would you, would you show them, would you give them the knowledge of your will that they might walk in a manner worthy of you? Would you strengthen their faith? This is the, these are the prayers of Paul to people who are struggling hard. I think for you and I, for us, we can tend to become disciples of comfort rather than disciples of Jesus. If I'm, if I'm just, being, just being honest, just being real, I, I slip into this. We, we, we get in this moment, in this, in this moment of life where, where we are right now, and I, I don't know what, what your moment is right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing in this season of life. Um, I don't know what's crazy, what's blowing up. I don't know what's going on in your family. I don't know what's going on in your career. But what we can tend to do is we get so caught up and so wrapped up in what's, what's externally happening to us. We become disciples of comfort, and we say, how do I fix this situation? And our, our time and our energy and our effort is... It's all spent there rather than, man, I just need to know Jesus more. And I need him to be the one who leads me and guides me and matures me in all of these things. And he said, Josh, I don't know if that's true. Think, think about it for a minute. 
Um, most of you guys are in small groups. The majority of Flourishing Grace Church is in small groups. I'm in a small group. I love, I love my small group. Amazing, amazing people. Every single Tuesday night, we gather together. Um, we share what's going on in our lives. We, we share stories. We, we're walking through uh, 1 Thessalonians together. And every week, we share prayer requests. And what are those prayer requests? Again and again and again. Man, I got this thing in, in my job. It's blowing up. And this my thing in my career. And I need prayer for this. I got this thing in my family with my kids. And I don't know how to deal with my kids. And this thing's going on. This thing's going on with my spouse, my marriage. I don't know how to do. Right? Again and again and again. Listen. Those are all things that we need to be praying for. And I want to be praying for. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it reveals to us what, what's actually, what we're actually wrestling with. And what's actually important to us. We're becoming disciples of comfort rather than disciples of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, to be an imitator, as Paul says, right? In chapter 1, you become imitators of me and imitators of Christ. It is to struggle, is to, to wrestle, is to find strength in the midst of great trial, whether it's our career or our family or even in the midst of persecution. One of my heroes, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was, a, who was a pastor, a theologian in Nazi Germany, um, actually was, was killed in a Nazi concentration camp because he loved Jesus. Uh, Bonhoeffer wrote this about being a disciple of Jesus. He said, um, when all is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle of the spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. Right? What Bonhoeffer says is every single moment for the follower of Jesus, for the disciple of Jesus, every moment of our life is a battle, is a struggle between what our, what our flesh, what our human nature wants, what, what I as a human being in my sinfulness, what I want, the desires of my heart, I want to fulfill them. I want to fulfill the desires of my flesh. That's what I want. It's in every moment I have to struggle against that and what, what Jesus actually wants for me, what the Holy Spirit is actually prompting me to, right? I want to I avenge my enemies, and Jesus is calling me to forgive them and pray for those who persecute me. I, I, want, I want to hoard and, hoard and collect more and more stuff and wealth, and Jesus says, no, 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 give it away. Give it to the poor. Give it to the needy. Every single moment of life for the follower of Jesus is this constant wrestling, this constant struggle. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, I want to know, are they hacking it? I want to know, have they caved in to the, to the persecution? I want to know, where is their faith now? That's what I want to know. I, I, don't, want to, I don't need to know what the, what the bruises are like. I don't need to know who's been killed. How is their faith? Are, are they hacking it? And some of you might be saying, dude, Josh, shh, I brought a friend. <laughs> Bro, could you just we should talk about grace, mercy, like love, right? Can we talk about those things, like the things that we normally talk about? This is why I love like preaching through whole books of the Bible because you come to a text like this, you're just like, oh man, this is going to be a good Sunday. <laughs> People are going to leave really happy. This is just the reality of it, friends, right? Here at Flourishing Grace Church, um, we try, to, we try to get rid of certain language. You, you'll, you never hear me or rarely hear me use the language believer, non-believer, I don't know if you ever noticed that, but it's true. I, I, don't, I don't use that, believer, non-believer. And even Christian, non-Christian. I, I don't talk that way, right? Um, we, we say follower of Jesus or disciple of Jesus. 
um, to, to indicate those things because those things don't communicate clearly what we're trying to communicate, right? You can be a believer in anything and it doesn't, it doesn't cause you to change the way you think and act, right? You can be a believer in Santa Claus um, and really all it costs you is one day a year you have to get up a little early and get presents. I mean, that's really, really easy, right? But to be a believer in Jesus must ch- change the way you think and change the way you act, Right, to be a believer in Jesus moves us towards something. It moves us towards becoming an imitator of him. It moves us towards being more like him. To be a believer of Jesus says, man, the God of the universe has given everything for me, and so I want to be more like him. And so, yeah, grace is free. Grace is this unbelievably, unimaginably free gift. No strings attached. Grace is freely given by God. The God of the universe said, your condition is broken and it's fallen by nature. By nature, you are children of wrath. I can't sit back and let what you've done as humanity against me go unpunished. And so therefore, I'm going to take the punishment. I'm going to step in on your behalf and I'm going to become a man. I'm going to live amongst you and I'm going to teach you how to act. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show you the way that you ought to be and the way that you ought to behave. And then ultimately, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to to bleed the ground red so that you might be forgiven, so that the wrath of God might be absorbed by me rather than by you for free. I'm going to do that for you. No strings attached. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you my life. And even though you don't deserve it, even though there's nothing in you that deserves it, I love you that much. So I give it to you for free. But then to follow Christ, to be moved by that grace to the point where we say, man, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And it is. It's the best news I've ever heard that that I was once in danger of the wrath of God and now I've been set free by the blood of Christ. That's the greatest news I've ever heard. It's the most amazing thing ever to be moved by that, to, to, to to be changed by that, to be transformed by that says, it's gonna cost me because what costs God much can't be cheap for me. The gift is free, but to be like Jesus cost us to wake up early in the morning in the wee hours and to to sit and to open up the word cost me sleep and it cost me time to be obedient to the promptings of the holy spirit cost me the desires of my flesh i don't want to be loving and i don't want to be forgiving but at the same time this is what i'm called to again and again and again and so there's moments in my life where where i lash out in anger and i say things that i shouldn't say and the holy spirit says josh what are you doing and it costs me because I have to go back and I have to apologize and I have to say sorry and I have to, I have to humble myself and I have to become obedient to him. It costs me. And ultimately what Paul's saying here in the church of Thessalonica, the, the bit of theology that, that's being laid on the table is that to come after Jesus, to be an imitator of him, to be a follower of Christ means that the rest of the world's not going to get it. They're not going to understand It's going to cost you. And Paul's not saying that. I'm not saying it. Jesus did. Jesus, when Jesus first sent out his disciples in the book of Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 22, uh, reads like this. I actually don't think it's up on the screen. I forgot to put that in. We'll fix it later. 
Uh, Matthew 10, 16 through 22 reads like this. Jesus is sending out his disciples and he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to, will deliver you over to courts and flog you in your synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will be delivered over to brother to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Anybody ready to sign up? Should pass around the sheet? You guys can sign up. I'm in. Count me in. I want to I sign up for that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so, I mean, you guys, this, this is what Paul's saying. Paul says, listen, church in Thessalonica, I told you we were destined for this. We knew this was coming because Jesus told us it was coming. And I'm telling you this morning, friends, listen to me. Your life, we will have to endure hardship from other human beings because you love Jesus. It's just the reality of it. Now, hopefully, you're never put to death. Hopefully, you're never beaten in a synagogue. That'd be rough. But it's going to come. It's going to happen. You're going to have to say no to certain things that you want to say yes to. You're going to have to say yes to certain things that you want to say no to. You're going to have to stand up to, to friends and people who you love. It says, it says kids are going, to, are going to call out their fathers and brothers are going to call out their brothers. Like you're going to have to stand up to people who, who are hard to stand up to. You're going to have to bury your soul and say, man, this is all for Jesus. I have to tell you the story. I have to tell you what he's done in my life, knowing that the consequences might be great. But there's a second piece of this chapter. You see, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our pain, Jesus brings about joy and encouragement in the life of others. If you look at the rest of the chapter, um, in verse 6, we're just going to read 6 through 10. But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in our, desire, in our, in our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For what joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul says, as Timothy came back and he, he brought good news 
He, he brought good news that their faith has, has strengthened. In the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, their relationship with Jesus has grown. They're more committed now to being followers of Christ than they were even before. Before they left, before the persecution, before the hardship. They're more committed now to being followers of Jesus than they were before. See, ultimately, this is a relational text, chapter 3. Paul's writing to his friends. And he's saying, man, we miss you guys. We want to be there. We want to be with you. We want to be suffering with you. We want to we be a strengthening and encouraging you, but instead, you're strengthening and encouraging us. Your, your steadfastness, your life is encouraging us. It's giving us strength. The cost that you're paying as a follower of Jesus is motivating me. As you guys know, I recently just got back from India and uh, one of the things that we did there is we, we met with a lot of these local pastors in these crazy villages. And uh, this is a picture of, of one, that, that little shack there in the background is their church in this village, um, the church building. And on Sunday, um, that building is smaller than our stage significantly. And on Sunday, they got 50 people, right? That's India, right? There's no personal space in India. They just don't even know what that is. Um, it's amazing, right? Uh, we, we had like 10 guys in there. I'm like, this is cramped. Um, and we showed up in this village, and these, there's two pastors. One is from this village, and one's from another village. And they, they were so excited to, to meet us and to share their story with us, and they invited one guy. So there's three guys total. We, we come into this church. There's, there's a few of us and these, these, three, these three local guys. And um, they, we shared a meal together. And then they said, man, we, we asked this guy to come and to share his story with you. Sounds great. And this kid begins to share this story, crazy story. I, I mean, unbelievable story. And, and ultimately, the reason why there's 50 people from this village that, that worship God every single uh, week is, is because of this kid. This kid was run over by a tractor. Um, and they said he's never going to walk ever, ever again. It's like not going to happen. There's, there's just no way. He's paralyzed. He'll never walk again. Um, and they tried all these medical treatments and all these things. And finally they said, hey, why don't you bring him down to the church, right? This Hindu kid, Hindu family. Bring him down to the church. We'll pray for him. And so in desperation, they brought him to the church. And these pastors laid hands on him and prayed for him. And the kid's walking around like no problem. And so because of that, all the people in the village said, I'm out. I want, I want to be a part of that. Like, I want to be a part of whatever that is. My, I, the, all these gods that I've been praying to for years have never done that. I want to be a part of that. And so now they cram 50 people into this little shack every single week and, and praise Jesus. But as this kid's sharing this story and we're all just like fascinated by it, there's this rustling going on outside the walls. Like, what is going on out there? People from the village are showing up. All these people begin to show up. And there's actually more than there even in the photo. And they all want to share their story with us. And the pastor's like, oh, we don't have time for that. And I'm like, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And again and again and again, these people share their story. And every single story is a story of pain. Every single story is a story of sorrow. But Jesus... My husband died, but Jesus. Man, my kids got sick with this horrible disease, but Jesus. Man, my, my life was a mess, but Jesus. I, I, I suffered in this, but Jesus. Like again and again, they showed up in droves. And I walked away from this little tiny village in the middle of flipping nowhere. 
saying, man, I've never been so encouraged in my entire life. And I can't wait to get back to Flourishing Grace because I got to tell these people about this. Our sorrow, our suffering in faith as we cling to Jesus and we say, man, I don't care what the world brings. I know that, that my sin and the sin of others is going to cause me pain in this life. I know that. And it's temporary. It's short. In comparison to knowing Jesus, it's meaningless. I got to keep telling my story. And ultimately, my encouragement, my encouragement is found here. It's found in you. It's found in your stories. As you begin to light up and the gospel begins to take shape in your life and mold you and transform you, it gives me courage to press on, to keep moving forward. And so here's the question, friends. When was the last time your faith in Jesus cost you something? When was the last time your faith in Jesus forced you to do something that you didn't want to do or forced you not to do something that you didn't want to do? The truth is that should be a daily occurrence for us. And the second thing is this. Who are you sharing that stuff with? Who in your life are you intentionally pouring into, intentionally sharing your story with again and again? Because it is your story. Your story is built in the dark hours. Your story is built in the moments that are hard. And that story is meant to be shared with other people in your life. It's meant to be given away again and again and again. Your story is beautiful. Christ has given that to you. Use it to encourage others who are struggling, who are wrestling in their faith. Let me do this. We're going to receive communion this morning. And ultimately, communion is this thing that reminds us. It reminds us of the, of the ultimate cost and the ultimate encouragement, right? The ultimate cost is, is Christ going to the cross. That God, the God of the universe would, would step out of glory, would step out of perfection, would, would um, become obedient, obedient to death, would be, would be humbled for our sake, for your sake. Would go to the cross and would bleed out, right? The juice represents um, his, his blood and, and, and the bread represents his body. It reminds us of that cost. But it also reminds us of the ultimate encouragement. And if Christ can endure the cross, if Christ can endure that, man, for sure I can, I can wrestle with this, this season with my, with my boss that doesn't like me very much. I can be kind to him. And if Christ can endure that, for sure I can press in and be gracious and kind in my marriage or gracious and kind towards my children. I can work harder towards them. And if Christ can do that, right, it's the ultimate encouragement. For certainly I can cling all the more tightly to him. I absolutely can. And so this morning as we pass out the elements, I want to encourage you. We're going to, we're going to sing a few songs together. Be encouraged. I know this morning's been heavy. You're just like, dude, Josh, wow. Be encouraged. The God of the universe loves you. He's pressing in again and again and again. He's giving you more of himself. He's giving you more of himself. And ultimately, that's what you need more than you need anything else. So as we receive communion, let us remember the ultimate cost and the ultimate encouragement. Let me pray for us. Jesus, in this moment, in this, in this season, in this, in this hour right now, I know that there are people in this room, in fact, maybe the majority of us in this room, that have things in our life that are, that are burdening us. 
Maybe it's sickness and disease. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's our kids. Maybe it's our parents. It's a friend. Loss of a loved one. It's something at work that is just stressing us out. That, that, is, that is life. That's a human moment. To suffer, to suffer is to live, but yet at the, at the same time, in the same breath, to cling to you is to find joy. To watch others cling to you is to find maybe even greater joy. This morning, would you encourage us to press on boldly, courageously in the midst of it all. Become imitators of you. Become more like you. To give ourselves away. To say no to things. To say no to things like revenge, or anger, malice, greed, jealousy, bitterness. Say no to those things. Because you've called us to something more. You've called us to be more like you. And might your spirit move in our hearts, might he move in our souls uh, to, to move us away from those things and produce in us fruit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. Would you produce those things in us? Would we say yes to those things? It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. But we'll find joy there. And others will find encouragement there. Give us a story to share. Let us share it boldly, courageously, without fear of the world around us. Pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen.